go. You guys need to go. Register for this. It's good. It's good stuff. Good morning. Good morning. I feel like I'm going to be the fifth or sixth or seventh person to tell you this, but happy Mother's Day. I know this day for some triggers some joy for you. Maybe you've had the the gift of having a child and maybe you've had more than one. Maybe you have a friend or a family member that's getting ready to have their first and you're getting excited to maybe be an aunt or an uncle. Maybe you're a grandparent in here and you thought having kids was awesome, but then you had grandkids and you get to spoil them and then give them back to your child. And you get to watch your amazing kids raise their own. And I always think about my mom. There are times that, you know, I've called her crying, like, I don't know what I'm doing, you know, and she's there to comfort me. And then there are times that I share, you know, a horror story with her and she's like, <laughs> she just laughs because you just have to. She's like, you can do it, but this is really funny. Um, and then I know Mother's Day can also trigger uh, different emotions for some. Sometimes it's not that of joy. Sometimes it's that of pain. And maybe, you know, Andy mentioned this before. Maybe you've longed to be a mom and you haven't been able to, to step into that role yet. Or maybe you're not where you thought you would be. Maybe um, you've lost babies. Maybe you've had miscarriages. Maybe your mom has passed. Or maybe she's not here to be with you and you miss her so much. And I just want you to know that wherever you are today, whatever this national holiday triggers for you, that I'm so thankful and so privileged and so honored that you would come and you would be here spending your Mother's Day with us. So thank you for being here. Happy Mother's Day. So I wanted to start off this morning. I know um, we're, we're in a, new, a series called Jesus Changes Everything. And you know, kids change some things when, when kids come into your life. When we, we have four, and for us, you know, I, I was always the mom that was like, when I have babies, I'm never giving my baby a sucker or anything sticky because I don't want their hands to be sticky. And then I had kids, and I was like, oh, my gosh, take the sucker, <laughs> you know. Um, but years ago when I was uh, – somewhat of a new mom. I had two at the time, this uh, Graham and Caroline. Graham was about two and a half, and Caroline was about a little under one, and I had some plans that I had for the day. How many of you are list makers? You make like your to-do list, maybe a spreadsheet, maybe you create uh, maybe you have your favorite app that you use. For me, I'm a big to-do list person. I love to write things out with pen and paper, you know. I chisel it into the stone. I'm such an old person. Um, I love to write it down with pen and paper. And I love making lists so much that if I forget to add an item or I complete a task that wasn't on my list, you better believe I'm going to go back and I'm going to add that to my list. And I'm going to check it off and be like, look what you did today. Okay. All right. So I had my list. I had my plan. I had, I had my plan for the day. I had my kids ready to go. We had to go to the grocery store that day. And so, of course, I had a list. And um, I'm getting out of the car. And I'm carrying Caroline because she can't walk yet. And I'm holding Graham's little hand. And I've got all my bags in tow. I'm going to Aldi. So if you know Aldi, you got to bring your bags. you got to pay for your bags. Had my quarter in my fingers. I was ready to go. I was like, I'm conquering the day. Check off this list. And I get up to the sidewalk at Aldi. And I'm holding Caroline. My hands are a little full, you know. And, and, I, and I'm standing there. And I go to the grocery cart. 
um, section. Uh, and right before I do that, I notice there's something really odd on the sidewalk. And I'm like, gosh, Aldi, get it together. This is not how you want to treat your customers. This is not appealing to me. Whatever this little mess is, it needs to be taken care of, okay? And so I'm, I'm seeing this mess, but I kind of am like, oh, I got to get my list done. I've got it. I've got it. I'll just tell them when I get to the checkout line that there's something really foul on the sidewalk. And so I go to put my quarter in, and then I hear, Mom, what's all over your arm? And I was like, I think that was my son that just said that. And I turn around, and my sweet little angelic being that I'm holding that's brought me so much joy in my life, who, by the way, I had secured tightly her clothing for that morning. Diaper was intact, clothing all set. Somehow, this sweet little baby, something was coming out of her, and it was going everywhere, and it was all over me, all over the sidewalk, and I'm standing there, and I'm like, okay, I've got to get through this. I can't run and hide. I've, I've got, okay, so I literally, I, this is, you know, I wasn't a big person that worked out, but I like did one of those like amazing squats, you know, and then I had the diaper bag and I just like was like talking to Graham like nothing was wrong and I got all these wipes out and I'm just cleaning the sidewalk pretending nothing's wrong. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. I'll be fine. Everything's fine. And so I'm cleaning up. I throw it away and then I can't go grocery shopping because I'm covered in this mess, and so now I have to get to the car and walk to the car. I have so many stories like this, by the way, that are just humiliating and hilarious all at the same time. But I'm having to walk to my car, and I have to figure out a way to get my kids back in the car and clean them off and clean me off. And thankfully, there was a sweet woman in the parking lot that was like, can I help you? I was like, Yes, you can. I need so much help right now. And so she helped me. We got, I got everything cleaned up. I didn't ask her to do any of the cleaning. I was like, can you just hold his hand while I stand here in the trunk and do something? And so I cleaned everything up, but I was frustrated. Can you guess why I was frustrated that day? I couldn't check it off my list. My kids interrupted my plans for the day. They interrupted my plans, and I was not happy about that. And not just kids. Kids aren't the only thing that interrupt our plans, right? We get flat tires. We get an unexpected, you know, leak in the basement or, you know, something. Maybe you have groundhogs like we do that live in your backyard and start burrowing holes through, through your land. Or maybe, maybe something comes up medically, and you've got to go to the hospital, or you've got to go help a friend whose car broke down. You just never know. You never know. There's always things that are interrupting our plans. But there's something that I can guarantee you, even though I don't like my plans to get interrupted, there is something I can guarantee you that will interrupt your plans and that will change your plans. And that's living a life surrendered to Jesus Christ. And it's going to change your plans in the best way. You see, I grew up in the church. Years ago, I was in Snellville, Georgia. That's where I went to high school. I was in Snellville, and I was in my little house on Stonedale Place. And I had some friends over. I'd grown up in the church. My parents are lovely. They're amazing. They love Jesus, and they raised us so well. And I remember putting my faith in Jesus at an early age and probably recommitted my life at every youth 
event that we had because I was like, I just want to make sure. I just want to make sure, Lord. I love you. I just want to make sure. And, and I remember sitting in my room, and I had two friends with me. And one of them, you know, I had my Bible on my nightstand, you know, looking really cute. It had Amy Graham on it, my name. I was like, oh, yeah, that's my bubble. And she picks it up, and she goes, so, Amy, tell me, what is this thing about? Tell me about this. And in that moment, I had no way to respond to her. I had no way to really help her or tell her about my Bible or what it actually meant or that I knew what was in it. I mean, I knew, like, the staple stories that you grow up learning in church, but I didn't really know that it was alive and active. I didn't really know that I could stand on it, or I d- it wasn't in me. And so a few weeks later, I just thought about this so much, and I took a moment, and I said, God, in, in the same bedroom, God, would you, Lord, I, I believe in you. I know I put my faith in you. I know that my eternal life is with you in heaven, but God, I know there's more for me on this planet that you have called me to do. And so, God, I surrender my life, and I surrendered every aspect of my heart to him that day. I was 16 years old. Surrendered my heart to him. And from that moment on, I didn't want Jesus to just be part of my life. I wanted to be part of his plan. And when Jesus changes everything, he changes our plans. It's not about Jesus being part of our life. It's about us getting to be part of his plan. So let's pray, and then we're going to jump into some scripture. Lord, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for for today. Lord, I thank you that wherever we are, wherever we're coming from today, God, you meet us. And, And Father, I'm just asking, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us right now. God, whatever, whatever we're carrying in with us, Lord, let us lay it down. And God, would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive, minds to know, God. Lord, let us receive from you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, if you didn't guess it already, today we're talking about how Jesus changes our plans today. Jesus changes our plans. We're going to be starting in the book of John today, John chapter 4. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and grab that. Again, that's John chapter 4. It'll be up here on the screen in just a moment. I'm going to be drinking a lot of water, you guys. I'm so sorry. I'm not doing it on the microphone, though, for mouth noises. I respect you. I got you. John 4. Okay. So, (laughs) I know. It's bad. I'm a mouth noise person. Anyways, this is not the message. Okay, John chapter 4. What we're going to be looking at is if we really believe that Jesus changes everything and that he changes our plans, we're going to be able to look at how Jesus handles himself in this passage this morning and actually be able to imitate him, do what he does, and figure out how to do this when we leave the school. So John chapter 4, verse 6, Jesus is, or I'm sorry, John chapter 4, verse 4. Jesus is getting ready to leave Judea and head to Galilee. And this is where we start. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground where Jacob had given, that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, like a literal well. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from his journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. So just to give you guys a little understanding, a little context of what Jesus is doing, he's leaving Judea, he's going to Galilee, and if you look at a map, Samaria is right between these two places. And if Kennesaw Elementary School were to be Judea this morning, and we were going to stop in Sakar, we would literally go outside on foot, and we would walk to the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. 
okay? That's how far Jesus walked. It took him about seven to eight hours, okay? About seven hour, a seven-hour journey. And it was probably even more rough terrain than what we have here. So he walked that far. So when it says he was tired, he was tired. He needed to stop for a drink of water. So here we go. John chapter 4, verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? She's being literal here. She's not grasping this. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock? She's kind of puzzled, like, where are you going to get this living water from? What are you talking about? You have nothing to draw from. Pick up in verse 13. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water, talking about the water in the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, is that you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is true. Then verse 19, she says, sir, I can see that you are a prophet. So before we continue on, Jesus is talking to her about the living water. He's He's trying to draw a parallel for her, but she's not getting it. So he turns then and begins talking to her about her life. And he asks her, fully knowing that she doesn't have a husband at home. He knows her situation, but he asks her about it. So she begins talking to him about it. And then she's like, I can see you're a prophet. Like, I see, I see, you know, a little bit that's going on here. Uh, But she picks up in verse 20. Let's see how she responds to this in verse 20. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for the salvation is from the Jews. He's talking about the heritage, the lineage of Jesus through the Jewish people. Yet a time is coming and now has come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ. Yeah, I know. He's coming. And when he gets here, he's going to explain everything to me. Like, it's fine. I got this. You can go on. I I know who you're talking about. And then verse 26, Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. So real quick, what we can't miss here in this last part of this passage is He's talking to her about worshiping in spirit and truth. She tied her belief. She tied her salvation. She tied everything of who she was, her religious beliefs, to a place of worship. And what Jesus was disarming there was saying, it's not about you can worship in Kennesaw or you can worship in Boston. You can worship in Cairo, Egypt, for all I care. But God is not looking for the location of where you worship. 
He's looking at your heart and your mind. Have those been transformed? Are you worshiping in spirit and truth? And so she gets a little defensive, and she's like, I know what you're talking about. I know Jesus. I know he's the Messiah. He's the one that's to come. And then he says, surprise, I'm him. I'm Jesus. And so in just a moment, um, we'll see how the story ends. But what we know from this point on is that the woman goes back, and she begins telling other people what just happened at the well. So this morning, we're going to look at three ways. Now, these are just three things that stood out to me. The beautiful thing about reading our Bible and studying Scripture is that I can pull out three things that maybe God spoke to me, but you might pull out ten other things that God spoke to you. So I encourage you, take the time to read your Bible and say, Holy Spirit, show me what you want to tell me today through this passage. Because every passage, I feel like, could preach ten different things. So let's do this. We're going to look at three ways that we can model after Jesus and how Jesus changes our plans. Are you ready? All right, here we go. Number one, we get to be intentional. Be intentional. Here's how, this is what I mean by this. When we look at this passage in John 4, it says that Jesus had to go to Samaria. He had to go to this town. And what most, when we read it, most of the time we look at that and we're like, okay. I mean, when you look at the map, it's a straight line to Galilee. So, of course, it would make sense. But he's with his disciples. He's with the Jewish people. And what isn't said right there in that part, if you read footnotes or you study a little bit more, is that there is actually a long tension that's been happening between these two people groups. The Samaritans and the Jewish people did not associate with one another. They didn't intermarry. It goes back into First and Second Kings. You can read about it in Nehemiah. There are, there are, there's a long history here between these people. And Jesus went there not because he had to geographically he had to because he had to show his disciples the place that you've been avoiding i have something great and mighty to do there there is no person there is no people group there is no body that is is okay to avoid when it comes to sharing the love of jesus christ and so when we when we think about how we're being intentional i know i know everybody in here has a person that can be like a samaria for them Everybody has somebody in their life that you're like, I'm going to go the alternate route here so I don't have to engage with you, that I don't have to say, I'll say hi. And here's the interesting thing is, did you know that the Samaritans and the Jewish people, they traded goods? They were willing to trade goods with each other, but they wouldn't eat with each other. They wouldn't drink with each other. They wouldn't intermarry. They wouldn't sit and associate themselves with each other. And it's kind of, when I think about that today, I think about, the people that I do the small talk with, like, hey, Bob, how you doing? Good to see you. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll talk to you later. You know, and you go home and you mind your own business. But Jesus was very intentional. He was very intentional, not only to go to this place, but to speak to this specific woman. And so this morning, I want to just pose the question, who's God calling you to be intentional with today? How can you represent Jesus and be intentional with people? Years, um, well, this is before we had kids. I was trying to be intentional with a friend who um, I didn't necessarily, we weren't meshing, like our personalities didn't mesh too much, and that's okay. You can be intentional with people that are not like you. And, um, but I was like, no, I want to get to know her because I have something in me. I have the hope of Jesus in me. And if it means that I, my being intentional with her gets her one step closer to Jesus, then I'm going to be intentional. 
And so she invites me to go to a Pilates class with her. And I do not do Pilates. And I had never done Pilates before, but I was like, you know, I took dance for years. I taught dance for years. I mean, I was totally physically fit. I'll be fine. I'll go to this Pilates class. And so she invites me out. And it's a room probably about this size. Like, it's more than like 10 people. There was like 40 people in this Pilates class. And have you guys ever seen those giant exercise balls, you know? Okay, so everybody, they were like, everybody get your exercise ball from the bend to the right, you know? And so I'm like walking over and I'm like, what in the world are we about to do here? I thought Pilates was like, you just shake your arm really fast. And so she, they, they put a mat down and I'm like, hey, can we sit kind of in the back? You know, I'm not really good at this. So we're probably like the second to the back row. And so we're doing all these things and he's like, he's like lay down on your back and we're going to begin leg work and I was like okay so we lay down and he's like go ahead and lift the ball in the air so we lift the ball in the air and he's like now put the ball between your ankles and I was like what and so basically let's just pretend you know that you know these are my feet you have to hold the ball and then you have to rotate so you go like this without dropping the ball. That's supposed to work your body somehow. Well, I got maybe two rotations in, and then you can only imagine my legs were like this, shaking. <sighs> like I'm trying, to, I'm trying not to drop it. My legs are violently shaking. And you know what's going to happen next. I'm rotating the ball, and it slips, and it launches and literally bounces over the rows of people doing Pilates. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. Excuse me. I'm so sorry. Hi, I'm sorry. That's mine. I just need to get that. I'm so sorry. And the instructor's just looking at me like a fool. And I'm like, I don't know how to do Pilates, okay? But God calls us to be intentional. That means we get to get out and do things we're not used to doing. That means we get to go some places that we're not used to going because we need to show people that we care about them. Mark 12, verse 30 says, love the, Lord your love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second thing is love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. People want to know that you care about them. They're not projects. People are not projects. And Jesus knew when he went to Sakar and he sat down with this woman, he was going to engage in conversation with her and he was going to be intentional with her. He didn't see her as a project. He saw her soul. And sometimes we have to say, Jesus, would you help me see people the way that you see them? Would you help me be intentional today? Forgive me for being so avoiding to that person. Secondly, so we got to be intentional. The second thing is, is don't run away. This is one of the things that stood out to me so big when I read this passage over and over and studied the scripture. Is that Jesus is talking to her about the living water and he's, he's basically offering her hope, but she's not seeing it yet. And so then he takes a moment to listen to her story. He talks to her about her story. He talks to her about her life. And in this situation, the fact that, one, Jesus was a Jewish rabbi speaking to a woman in public, especially with this reputation alone, this was a big deal. This was not okay. And if you remember what I said earlier in the passage, she said, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. Like, you cannot drink after me. That We do not do this. 
Jesus began building a trust with her. He began talking to her. He was building a trust. And then what we see happen is that she begins to talk about, they begin to talk about her life. I'm really curious what, what the conversation might have looked like. But he talks to her about her situation where she currently is. And it says in Scripture that she goes back and she begins to tell people what happened. But if you notice, she doesn't go back and, and start accusing him. She doesn't go back and start saying, this guy, this, this Jewish rabbi, he's a Jew, you guys, and he's, we're not supposed to talk with him. And he sat down, and he wanted to drink after me. And he wanted, you know, she could have gone, and she could have bad-mouthed him and could have drawn up a crowd to do something very different than what she did. She went and she told those people, this man knows. He knew about my life, but he didn't run away. He didn't run from her. He stayed there. He was steady. Romans 2, 4 in the NIV that says this, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? The message says this. I love this verbiage. It says, God is kind but he is not soft. In kindness, he takes us firmly by the hand and leads us into radical life change. And in this moment, we see Jesus sitting, talking to this woman, breaking all the rules, doing all the things that you're not supposed to do. He's being intentional with her. And through this conversation, she doesn't turn and run and never come back. It actually leads her into a repentance moment with Jesus, which is incredible. If we would look at the way that we treat people, and when people open up with their lives, you know, one of the things that hurts me so bad is that the church has often bore the reputation of judging people as as they, like, I can't, I've got to have it all together before I walk into this church, because if they know my mess, if they know my past, they will not listen to me. They won't accept me. They won't, they won't hear me. They won't be able to help me walk in victory in this area. I've got to have it all together before I come. And that's a lie. That's a lie from the enemy. And so many people are deceived by that. But if we, if we run away when people talk to us about it, then we're just going to continue that cycle. We got to look at how Jesus did this. He, you know, even with our kids, you know, my son, we just started going to a new school last year or a couple years ago. And he came to me one day after school, you know, because we we're trying to, trying to raise our kids well and make good choices. He comes home and he's like, well, mom, so-and-so started cussing today. And I was like, oh, bud, you know. He was like, yeah, I guess can't be their friend anymore. And I was like, well, first of all, great job on catching the fact that he was cussing. I love that you're being aware. Um, But secondly, you know, God doesn't teach us to run from people or to not be kind to them, or to not be their friend just because they cuss, you know, or because they're doing something. Let's just kind of, you guys can put yourselves in an adult situation, okay? It may not be cussing that that you're trying to avoid with a friend, but it might be a little bit more of, of something that's a little bit more difficult, more challenging. Maybe a circumstance that's been out of their control, or maybe it's decisions, and it's the fruit of those decisions that's led them to the place that they're at. But we tried to take a moment with with him and say, look, you get to be their friend. doesn't mean that you have to be their best friend, but you get to be their friend. Let's have him over for pizza and video games sometime. 
you know, and you begin to teach your kids all the while teaching yourself to do the same thing. We've got to stay. We don't need to run away. We've got to be intentional. Don't run away. And the last thing we see here is actually through the, the eyes of this woman, but the point is to share your story. We get to be intentional. We don't run away, and we share our story. God actually makes his appeal through us. I didn't know if you guys knew this or not, but he actually thought the best possible option for my truth and for, for testimonies to come through this earth and to go out into the earth and to make disciples would be these flawed human beings who are messy, who have messy lives. Yes, I choose that one. And when you read the Bible and you look at the amount of men and women, there is no perfect person in the Bible that God uses outside of Jesus to, to make his name known to make his his glory known on the earth. He uses people who have messy lives. Why does he do that? I, I, I can't even imagine, you know, one of the things that's so hard for me sometimes is like, I don't want people to know that I'm a mess. You know, I think some of us have felt this way before where you're like, I don't, you don't need to know my mess. You don't need to, everything's fine. I go to the church on the corner, like the lady was talking about. I know this Jesus and when he comes, I'll know who it is. Thank you so much. Good day, sir. You know, and we can we can treat our we can treat our life that way. We can treat even just the 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 desire to share our story with others. Here's what here's what happens. Let's look at what happens to this woman though. In verse 39 in John chapter 4, it says many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. This is what she said to people. He told me everything I ever did. So when the, when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. There he goes, changing plans. He was supposed to make a pit stop. Wasn't even supposed to go to Samaria. Went to Samaria. And then he stays two extra days. And what happens? Because of his words, many more became believers. Jesus was intentional. He didn't run away. His staying there and listening to that woman and, and speaking to her actually drew her in. It says that his kindness draws us to repentance. And repentance is a beautiful thing because then we can go, oh, my gosh, like you, I'm, I'm not supposed to carry the weight of this. I can actually give it to you, and I can turn from this, and I can live a life that is full, and it is abundant, and it is with your peace, and it is with the fruit of your Holy Spirit, and you give me the Holy Spirit, you give me all these things, Lord, you're amazing. It draws us to a repentance to him. We, and then 42, it says, um, they said to the woman, we no longer leave just because of what you said. Again, she shared her story. We no longer believe just because of that. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Second Corinthians 5 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come and the old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us. This is the, this is the part we want to stand out this morning. He's committed to us the message of reconciliation. 
We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though Christ were making his appeal through us. God has chosen to make your his appeal through you today. He's chosen. Now, let me say this too. I know some of us have different personalities. I know that some of us are extroverted and some are introverted. And I know some love to engage in conversations and some it makes you sweat and fearful and like, uh uh, that is not me. But I will encourage you with this that it doesn't say God wants to make his appeal through those who are extroverted and can go talk to people. He wants to make his appeal through all of us. And so what we get to do is we get to go, okay, how can God make his appeal through me, even though I may not be like Pastor Andy, who can have a conversation with a fly on the wall and lead him to Jesus? You know, how can I, how can I do this? How can I, how can I be used by God? And one of the things that I've discovered, and I had people affirm in my own life because my husband is very outgoing. He's great with communication. And I've had to grow in that. That's not been my thing. But you know what I love to do? I love to cook. I love to cook. And one thing that I've discovered is that my Magnolia cookbook, thank you, JoJo, my Magnolia cookbook can make some bad biscuits, you guys. And biscuits will lead people to Jesus, okay? When we're intentional and we don't run away and we share our story, if we would just be intentional, take that neighbor a random batch of biscuits. Some of y'all can make some cookies in here that make me cry. They're so good. And some of you are handy. Some of you have skills that you can offer to people. Some of you are great listeners. I appreciate people who just want to listen to me and not give me an answer for everything that I that's going on in my life. You've got to ask the Lord. You've got to ask the Holy Spirit, God, how have you made me? How have you gifted me? How can, how can you make your appeal through me? And at some point, at some point in our relationships with others, we should be able to tell our story and be ta- able to tell God or tell them what God has done. We should want to tell people what God has done. We should want to tell people, I, I was there and now I'm here. It took me a long time, but I got here. You can too. We get to be intentional. Don't run away and share your story. As we close this morning and as we're focusing on Mother's Day, I know sometimes, you know, this may have not felt like the most Mother's Day focused story, but every single thing that we talked about also pertains to raising kids. It pertains to raising the next generation. To be intentional with our kids means, you know, something that we learned early on was not just saying, hey, how was your day at school? Because what's the response? Fine. That's great. That's really good. Okay. Um, but to be intentional with questions. Did anything make you happy today? Anything make you sad today? Because then conversation starts. Did anything upset you today? Anything frustrate you today? Just tell me. You know, you may not get anything, but you can be intentional. You can, you know, my kids love Oreo cookies. And we've discovered they love ice cream sandwiches. And so when I'm at the grocery store, and it's not on my list, but I know they like it, I'm going to be intentional, and I'm going to pick that thing up for them and show them that I care, show them that I'm there for them. Don't run away when your kids bring things to you. Your kids might talk to you about a friend that's cussing in school, but the conversations, they get more serious as time goes on. And something that I have loved is being able to know, not just as 
my mom has done, but even just with relationships here at High Point Church, spiritual family, that people won't run away from me when I, when I bring them something that I'm struggling with. When I tell them, I'm not doing great in this area, and I really need you to pray with me. I really need you to stand with me. Can you encourage me right now? I sent a text this week, literally, where I was like, I feel like the enemy's coming at me about this message on Sunday, and I, I'm getting a fear, I'm afraid of what I'm supposed to say, and they were like, you've got this. Go kick the devil's rear end, you know. And I was like, yeah. But I wasn't afraid, and I knew that that person wasn't going to run away from me. I knew that they were going to stand, that they were going to grab my hand, like it says in the message, and lead me to the truth. It's not about condoning and, and agreeing with everything in the world. It's saying Jesus is kind, but he's not soft. His kindness leads us to repentance. He's taken us by the hand. And lastly, sharing your story. Your kids got to know that you're not perfect. Oh, my goodness, they got to know you're not perfect. They've got to know you're missed. They've got to know that you make mistakes. I have made so many mistakes. I've had to repent to my kids like 50,000 times, and my oldest is only 10. There's so much more ahead of me. But there are so many times, and, and not just with our kids, but with each other. You have to be willing to, to humble yourself when you make a mistake. Why is this important for our children to see that? Because they need to know mama needs a savior too. Mama's not perfect. And I tell them all the time, I'm like, I totally know how you feel. Gigi, you know Gigi who you love and adore? She had to discipline me when I was little. And they're like, what? I'm like, I know it's hard to believe. But I get to share with them, not only relate to them in my, with my life at that age, but I get to say, I still make mistakes, bud. I still make mistakes, sweetheart. And do you know what? There is a God in heaven that loves me so much that he sent Jesus to die for all those mistakes. And it's because of him. There was this big gap between us. And there, it's because of Jesus that he bridges that gap. And he takes me by the hand and he can lead us to repentance. His kindness leads us to repentance this morning. Psalm 127 forces children are like arrows in the hand of a warrior. If you're a parent in this room, just remember those rambunctious little boys and girls that you're raising or maybe have already grown up and gone out of the house, they're like arrows in the hands of a warrior. God has entrusted those kids to you. You are the person that God deemed the best to raise that child. Stand in that security today. When the days are hard, stand in that security that Jesus is with you, that it's not by your strength, it's by his. Also, the scripture I love a lot is his mercies are new every morning. Thank you, Lord, and good night. But he is with you. He is for you. He sees those hours that you stay up praying at night. He sees those times when you shut the bathroom door and you're like, I don't know what I'm doing, God. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. Am I screwing them up? Am I going to be their counseling bill when they're 20? You, don't, you have those moments, but God sees that. He's with you. He is for you. Get, you get to be intentional. You don't have to. We're not the end users of his grace. We get to share our story with people. We get to share it with our kids. And we will not run away.
There is never, 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 never anyone too lost to be found. We believe that here at High Point. I want to pray with you this morning. And if you find yourself resonating with maybe um, the Jewish people at the time who are like, what are you doing? We don't, we, these are the people that we avoid. You find yourself maybe even caught in fear to, to open your mouth. And maybe it's to your own family, but maybe it's to someone at your job or someone who lives next door to you that complains about the height of your grass. I don't know. Whoever it is, if you find yourself avoiding, I want to pray with you that you would be willing to open your heart and open your mind and step out in faith and say yes to what the Holy Spirit prompts you to do to be intentional. And some of you sitting here, you may have never experienced what we talked, what I've talked about with Jesus and bridging that chasm for us. And you're like the Samaritan woman who thinks, I've got my mess. I, I, I know, I know about Jesus being born at Christmas and I know he died at Easter and I've got my mess and I'll take care of it later. Thank you so much. I want to pray with you too because there is hope for you this morning through Jesus. He died on the cross for you so that you would have everlasting life. Let's pray. Father, I just pray for those who are God, just here this morning, God, we thank you for your ministry. We thank you for what you spoke to us today. God, I thank you for the Samaritan woman, God, who you used in this passage, God, to show us, God, that it's through anyone that your, your miracle is available to, salvation, Father. We thank you for that. God, I pray for anyone who's struggling with just fear, who's uncertain how to, to be intentional, who's never really even thought about others outside of their own saving relationship with Jesus. God, would you open their eyes right now to see like you see. God, let us say yes to your spirit. And every person that we engage with, God, would we be willing and courageous enough to be intentional with them. God, we thank you that your kindness, it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. And so, God, I even just pray for those who are in a new place right now. Maybe they've fallen away from you. Maybe they've just, they've detached themselves from, from being part of the local church. They've been hurt by the church. And because they've been, they've experienced this, God, they've, they've lost faith in you. God, maybe it's the first time that they've heard this, Lord. Whatever it is, Lord, we just ask right now for your saving grace. God, we say that if we believe with our heart and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we shall be saved. God, I thank you that it is your kindness that draws us to repentance, to turn from how we're living and to live in a life that honors and glorifies you. You are so faithful, God. In Jesus' name, amen. challenge to us. And even as Amy was preaching and teaching, she's, she's really great at what she's talking about. She's stretched me and grown me in this area of just what 
she didn't actually describe it as such, but relational evangelism, which, by the way, is how the vast majority of people come to faith in Christ Jesus. Lasting change is through a relationship with someone that they can trust, a relationship with someone who, who engages in a life of kindness to them. And that kindness, God makes his appeal through you to them. It's amazing how God works, isn't it? But sometimes when you hear a message like this, you think, I can't do that. You literally think to yourself, somehow we, we translate it in Christianity as, as I've got to go out and I've got to build a relationship and then I need to sit them down and I somehow need to open the Bible to John 3.16, share the gospel with them and lead them to a, 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 a salvific prayer in one moment. And that is not the case. Most people come to faith over a long haul of a relationship. Unless God just decides to, you know, move miraculously in their heart and their life, it takes a minute for people's worldview and their heart view to shift and change, which means you can't be afraid to be in a relationship with someone who doesn't know Jesus and be in it with them for the long haul. Because if you pull the ripcord, if we bail too fast, they don't get the opportunity of really building that relationship where God makes his appeal through you. If you've been here long, you've heard this kind of message before. I'm hard-pressed to preach a message where somehow you're not being somehow challenged to share your faith with someone. Amy and I were laughing about this at the dinner table last night, but the reality is that when you take this Bible, which, this Bible, and you, if, you were to, if you were to take this Bible and read it from Genesis to Revelation, and you had never read it before, and you were encountering the story of God for the very first time, you would walk away with the impression that God has a heart for people that don't know Him. That is the story of the Scriptures. That Jesus came for those who were broken and lost because they need to be found. And when we dismiss that as, oh, I'm just not really into that, wrong. We are into that. Now maybe God needs to work on your heart my heart together because I get wrapped up in my life. I get wrapped up in my things and my schedule. But I want to just, I'm, I'm, I'm tagging on what Amy said today because it's so unbelievably important. That how we love each other and how we love those that don't know Jesus will tell the world who Jesus is. So if Jesus has truly changed everything in your life, then that means that he's changed your plans and your heart's desires. And if you're still wrestling with those desires, you're still wrestling with really caring for people that don't know Jesus, I get it. But this is now where you get to start praying and re-surrendering your life to God and asking him to shift your, your mind and shift your thoughts and shift your heart that your heart would break for those who don't know. And you will. 
not that you have to. It's that we get to. This is who God has called us to be. Amen? So go bake some biscuits for somebody. You think I'm kidding. I know I'm taking way longer than I was planning on. That's where Amy stretches me, though. She made biscuits for some neighbors who were driving me crazy. I wanted to, I wanted to send something else over to their house. And Amy says, you know what we're going to do? We're going to make them some biscuits. And I'm like, well, I don't want to give them my biscuits. I want to eat them. She said, no, no, no. This is what we're going to do. We're going to bake some biscuits. I'm exaggerating, but this is literally what happened. She brought biscuits, and before the platter of biscuits made it to their table, the one who'd been so difficult already had half of one eaten and was raving about how amazing these biscuits were. And I had to smile because the gospel breaks down walls. It breaks down barriers. And the best way to do it isn't to fight. It isn't to be combative. It's to love one another relentlessly. So some of you, what you need to do is just find somebody who you need to bake some biscuits for and go bake some biscuits. Spend a couple bucks and do something for someone and show them God's kindness and maybe that leads to a coffee. Maybe that leads to a breaking point in their life where they can call you and say, my life's falling apart. Whatever it is, build up relational equity and invest in them you might win the right to have a conversation about the things that really matter most of all. Things that are more important even than biscuits. Stand your feet.